Hello, this is a prepaid call from Joe. Welcome to Doing Time with Joe. I'm your host, Joe Baker. And I'm your co-host, Anais Lucia. And today's episode is going to be about drugs being smuggled into prison. We have Joe's son, Boo, back on this episode again. So I'm pretty sure you who are listening are really excited about it because it's always great to have both of them on together. So Joe, why did you want to do an episode about this topic, about drugs being smuggled into prison? Well, because I believe that um, most people are not familiar with you know, how the, the whole, um, what am I trying to say, the whole makeup of how people in here survive. And I think it's interesting, you know, to talk about it so that people can understand what really goes on in here as far as how people survive. Because one of the main things that um, I think that people need to understand about being in prison is that uh, the majority of people in here make less than 50 cents an hour, particularly in Tennessee. And that doesn't stop people uh, you know, from trying to figure out a way to take care of their families. Now, most people can't contribute to their families or even take care of themselves off of 50 cents an hour, but you try to do the best that you can. But because you come to prison, that doesn't mean you stop being a father or brother or, or mother. You know what I'm saying? So if if you can figure out a way to help take care of your family, you will. And most of the time, it's something illegal. But it's not it's not what people really want to do, but that's one of the options that we have. Again, not trying to glorify it or anything like that, but mm-hmm. that's one of the options and I wanted to talk about that and shed some light on that, you know, from a couple of different perspectives. You know, hopefully, you know, my son he'll have a perspective that can enhance or broaden on what I'm talking about. But yeah, I just that's why I wanted to talk about it. I want people to understand that a lot of times people in here don't get involved with things like that because they want to necessarily. Some people do. Now, I'm not going to be naive and put a message out there that says that, but a lot of people in here, that is an option for them because, you know, nothing else in here. We don't we don't have any other way unless you're in some kind of program to make uh, decent money to be able to send home to take care of your family, you know. So that's why I wanted to do this episode. Okay. Um, can you expand a little bit about like why, like the different reasons that, like the incentives of people, you know, that people have to, you know, to smuggle? Uh, Boo, you want to go first on that? Yeah, I can go first. I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna say something off of the first question first. When you was, she was saying why, mm-hmm. and yeah. for some people, for some people, it's just for some people, it's just the mindset that they have. They know other. They know they. You come in and you still haven't learned no other way to. Uh, uh, make a make a living or you're not used to just making the 17 cent or whatever the system paying mm-hmm. when it came to me it was just, it was just a mindset that i had point blank period all the way around the board it was me continuing on in the lifestyle that i knew before i came to prison you know i didn't even i didn't i hadn't even been in prison uh three months <laughs> to even to to even see if I was gonna be okay with just making seventeen cent an hour or trying, it was just the mindset of I I went from the streets I went from one world into another world carrying that same mentality. As soon as I got there, it was just like okay, let me pick up where I left off at, and that's how it happened. And when and the question she was just asking the fall about smuggling drugs in, if I'm if that was the question. It's, it's so many different ways when it comes to officers. It's so many officers who've taken those opportunities because 
the system ain't even paying them people enough to be coming in putting their life at risk. Oh. So by the time you got it, by the time you got an inmate who done approached you and saying you can make an extra X amount of dollars a week, I think the temptation is hard to turn down because you mm. almost proposing to pay them more than what they getting paid. Oh, so yeah, in a lot of cases, yeah. Yeah, so it's no, you know, by the time somebody done approached you and said, hey, I could pay you an extra 15, 16, you know, possibly $2,000 a week if we can do A, B, and C. I mean, to some people, that's hard to turn down. And then the other way was, was of course, uh, women. It was it was getting in touch with women who probably needed extra money on the streets as well, mm. or just trying to help their loved ones and didn't say no. And we know how the women bringing it in. It's you know they putting it inside of them in, in visitation and by the time you pass it off and how the inmates bring it back mm -hmm. now you know you know that's a whole other story you know hey i was yeah. never one of them you know i'm not sure no my dad was i'm sure my dad no. was never one of them but no, you you no. you do you have inmates who are willing to go in and put stuff in they in they anal because for them too, you know. because it's a hustle for them as well. They, you know, if, if by the time you approach somebody, especially if either you got addicts, mm. you know what I'm saying? And of course, going back to the programs, just like my daddy was saying, some people are hustling because they still trying to take care of their family. You got addicts and these programs are not helping to help them overcome their addiction. So now they picking up extra ways to get they to get they fixed. And that's by scratching the middle of their body and bringing it back from visitation. Mm -hmm. So that's that's uh two of the ways of getting it in. Okay. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the way. You get it in like like you just said through uh offices or visitation or now one way I'm uh that uh, uh you didn't mention it, I'm gonna mention it that, that uh I've had some experience in the past when I was doing my dirt is that you could get somebody to come up and throw it across the fence depending on where <laughs> you were at. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you just get them chunking straight across the fence at night time or something like that. And then you'd have somebody go out there and pick it up and bring it back in. You know, it's just how it went. But, you know, uh, those are about the only ways you can get it in. you got to find somebody that's willing to bring it through, you know, uh, whether it be through when they come to work or in visitation or have somebody throw it over the fence. And in my past, I don't condone any of that anymore, but, yeah, in the past, you know, when I was doing my dirt, that's that's the three ways that I dealt with it, either through uh, somebody at work, uh, 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 visitation or thought over the fence. That's, that's how it went down, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. And can you both talk about a time when you had smuggled drugs into prison? <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll give you one of the stories. Uh, this is early in my incarceration, way back when I first came in into the system. I had a friend, I'm not going to call his name, because this story is going to get a little grindy. Mm. So I don't want to put him out there like that. Matter of fact, he's out now anyway, but I still wouldn't want his name out there. But uh, I had a, a friend of mine that was in the in prison with me, little dude. He, his wife, she was coming to visit him, and he was hustling, trying to pay his bills and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I paid him a couple of hundred dollars to have his wife bring it in. Mm -hmm. And when she bought it in through the VG, I had to pass it off to my partner. And my partner, he put it up in it, you know what I'm saying, in his rectum. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And 
I left visit, he left visit, we get back to the unit, and uh, I'm waiting on him, because I live on a different side than he did. We live in a building where you got two different sides. I was waiting on him to come across the hallway so he could give me my pack. And uh, and the pack, you know, I, I'll go ahead and say what the pack was. It was weed, cocaine, and, and some green money, you know, back in the day. You know, that's how we did things. So he brought the pack. He came He came to the side that I lived on, and he was. it was time for him to give me my pack. You know, he had to, you know, get on the toilet and push it up out of him. Mm. But this particular time, he couldn't do it, right? So he was telling me that the pack had turned inside of him. So he turned to the side, and he was having a problem getting it out. So I'm like, well, okay, what do you want to do? And he was like, man, he said, uh, you're going to have to go in and get it. And I'm like, oh, that ain't going to happen, man. You know, he wanted me to physically, while he bent over, put some gloves on, oh, and go up in his rectum and turn it around so he could push it out. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. And I said, no, I ain't going to be able to do that. <laughs> you know, I, just, I, couldn't see, I couldn't see myself doing that you know what i'm saying i just couldn't see myself doing it so when we're in the room talking a couple of my guys are in the room so one of my partners he said he'd do it mm. you know i said well that's cool with me so the, the the person that had to pack up in him what he did he he got him a, he shot him a lick of dope real quick right so he can get ready for the pain or whatever you know mm. so i'm standing on the door watching looking out the door and uh he pulls his pants down and my one of my other partners grabs him you know, he bends over, and so my partner grabs him at the top of his body to hold him still. And then my other partner, what's my other partner, he actually spread the man's cheeks and went up in him and turned the pack mm. so he could get it out, right? So when he did that, I could hear the screaming, the yelling, you mm. know, the moaning. He was hurting. It was hurting him, right? Mm. You know, we, we don't know what we're doing. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? And anyway, I started to smell, it was just the smell of, the, you know, feces and blood, it's all in the air. Mm. And I'm like, man, if y'all don't hurry up. And I'm looking out the window, you know, of the cell, trying to make sure that don't nobody come up there. You know, so when he pulls it out, I could hear the sound of it coming out of his body. Oh, my gosh. You know, it's just like it just popped out, you know. So once he gets it out, my partner turns to me, he ain't watched the pack off or nothing. He turns to me and says, here you go. I said, man, if you don't wash that off, he threw it in the sink, wash the pack off, you know, and then my partner, the one that had it up in him, he was like, are you going to pay me any extra for going through that? I'm like, no, I'm not paying you nothing extra. The business is the business. I'm going to give you the same thing that I was going to give you before. It ain't my fault that the pack turned uh -oh. up in him, you know, up, turned, up, turned around up in him, you know, so I wasn't going to give him nothing extra. So he left out after the pack, you know, gets cleaned off and we open it up. I break everything down, give out what I need to give out. And I move on, you know what I'm saying? And I give the pack to, I mean, I give the uh, the share that I was going to give to my partner, the ball, and then I pay him what he's supposed to get. And then I move on, you know. But the part about, well, I'm not, I'm not going to get into the rest of it right now. I'm going to let Boo tell one of his stories, and then I'm going to talk about the other side of this story. Go ahead, Boo. Well, when I first came, it, it was similar similar story. Uh, I was already going to visit. I was going to visit... Uh, all the time in my mindset, like I was saying, I was already trying to scope out, you know, how that worked and how to do what. And then, of course, I wanted to make sure that I was dealing with the right person because a lot of these people who are going up and putting stuff in their rectum, sometimes they deal with several different people. Mm -hmm. Now they want to be in that type of situation because sometimes they try to, they get too desperate and they do too much and people get caught and people go to jail. So 
I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to go through all of that. So at this at this time, when I did get it in, I had a cell phone, you know, and I'm just calling around at home, and I'm actually proposing this stuff to people. Mm-hmm. I'm calling different women, and I'm like, look, hey, you know, if you can bring this in, I can pay you, you know, two hundred and fifty dollars. You know, if you bring it in, and then I'll pay you that, you know, every week, you know, mm-hmm. if if you'll do it for me. So after I done asked probably ten to fifteen different women, hey, you want hey, you want to put something in the middle of your body mm-hmm. for two hundred and fifty dollars for <laughs> to wow. come up here and sit it, to come up here and sit up here and visit? Yeah. You know, you come up here and sit up here for two hours, you ain't got to stay the whole visit, and they always would ask. Who 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 I'm bringing it to you, and I would have to then finesse my way into explaining. Look, check this out though, it ain't gonna be me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm gonna be up there, but it's not gonna be me. Man, I'm not coming up there seeing somebody that I don't even know. Look, I tell you what, I'm gonna throw you an extra hundred on there mm-hmm. if you go ahead and bring up, and you know. Because they meeting somebody that they don't know. We just gotta put this person, we just gotta I gotta get her to get on this person's list for her to come. And they the majority of the time they would wanna be sitting with you, somebody that they know. Mm-hmm. So now they had to pay extra money to get this person to come up here. So I done found a girl who willing to do it, got my guy, put the name on the list, gotta wait thirty days for however long for the list to get for the name to get approved. Boom, the name get approved. I'm I'm just I'm I'm excited. I, I mm-hmm. just can't wait. So we go to we go to visit. I'm up there, the dude is up there, she's up there, you know, everything running fine. Boom. I see how the transaction take place because I'm not asking him no details. I'm not asking him, you know, how how, how you going, where you going to do with it? You know, but I, I want to know because for what, I don't want the girl to go to jail and I don't want nobody to get caught and then throw my name up and go. I'm selfish all the way around the board. I'm trying to keep as much. I'm trying to keep majority of the money. I'm trying to, I'm worried about you getting caught because I don't want to go to jail first and foremost. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting up there. And when I see how it, how he do it though, like she went to the bathroom, pulled it out. They got the chip bag. Boom! She acting like she reaching in, eat the chips. Boom! She put it in the chip bag. Mm-hmm. Ask him if he wants some chips. He holler, yeah. Boom! She passed the chip bag to him. By the time he acting like he eating chips and say, I'm finna go throw this away. He done reached in the pack and grabbed out the bomb. That's what we call it, the bomb. Mm-hmm. So when he walking. To the trash can he make like he dropped some of the trash and just that quick when he reached down i'm watching i'm watching because i'm trying to see what's going on he done but i had already peeped he had his pants unzipped oh. by the time he reached down like he picking up the trash his arm goes straight into where it's unzipped and by the time he reached down pick up the trash with the other arm he done already stuck it into his rectum oh, that quick. Wow. And I was like, now, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> the man should have been, the man should have been the magician. <laughs> but, but, so, you know, we go, we, we go back, you know, like my daddy said, you know, the, uh, the exchange take place. He got to get it out of him. You know what I'm saying? We put a violation up in the cell that divided me from being able to see him, which I can hear when it hit the water. It come out, boom, he wash it, he hand it to me, he get his cut, boom, I pay her, mm-hmm. get, get her cut, and then it's in. 
wow. but that was a that that was a good story of a a good transaction. I got mm-hmm. bad transaction stories as yeah, well, but this yeah. <laughs> Plenty of bad transactions. I had some of those too, where you you get the pack in, it looks like everything is straight, but then something goes wrong. You know, some, the pack gets caught up. I've had that happen. You know, where the pack will get caught up, and the person will go to the hole, and then they start talking. When they start talking, then here come the police. They want to get everybody that's involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I, and, yeah, you end up in the hole. Pending an investigation. Wait on them to figure out. You sitting in the cell. You're wondering, is he gonna tell it? Did, did he remember the number? Is he, what is he gonna do? You know. Exactly. Usually, usually, the truth of the matter is, they give up the whole game. You know. And but most of the time, you gotta keep a buffer between. <laughs> I call it a buffer anyway, between yourself and the person, so that they can't really give all the game up to the, the information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. So you can you're gonna do the little days in the hole, but you're gonna eventually get out. You know. And uh, but you know, let me let me speak real quick about the the the, the other side of, of the game where you know people ain't they don't really talk about that much, mm-hmm. and that and that's the part where uh, you know the, the mindset that you have to have to do this. Like with my partner, you know what I'm saying? Let's call him Fred. I ain't gonna call his real name, but we are gonna call him Fred. Okay, the one that had to pack up in it. When he told me that. The pack had turned up in him. On the inside, I'm like, man, is he playing with me? Is this a lie? But when he told me that he wanted me to go up in him, I knew he was telling the truth. But in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do that. But in, I had to figure out a way. I didn't care if, it, if he got it out of him, if he pulled it out, somebody else pulled it out. And that's the mindset that you, that you have to have when you're in here. When, when you're dealing drugs, especially in prison, you can't care nothing about the individual. You can you can pretend to care. Let's keep it 100 now. You can pretend to care about the individual that you're dealing with and the individual that's bringing it in. But the only concern that you have is that pack, because that pack is your survival. That pack is your source of income, and that's how I approach that. You know what I'm saying? And I think a lot of people, when they get to talking about the game, they don't talk about that part. They don't talk about that part of the game because they don't want their the, the girl that they're dealing with on the town to know. They don't want the dude that's in here that's bringing the pack back to know what they really feel about him. You know what I'm saying? Hey, you know that's just how it goes. You got to have a, a, a what kind of what kind of mindset? You got to have you got to be just cutthroat. You got to be cutthroat, non-caring. You know what I'm saying? People always say that drug dealing is a non-violent offense, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've mm-hmm. heard that before. I'm sure you've heard that before. But see, I I, I know better. A drug dealer, especially in prison, is capable of anything. Because if you don't take care of the business, if something goes wrong, let's say you get a mule, that's what we call him, a mule to bring the pack in. Let's say you got a mule that's bringing the pack in, and he decides to keep the pack. Now what do you do? Because mm-hmm. the first time it gets around that somebody bought in a pack for you and you don't get your stuff, your reputation is over in the game, and now people are going to start coming and taking stuff from you. So mm-hmm. you got to go put in a little work and take your pack. You feel what I'm saying? Yeah. The, that's the ugly side of this thing that people need to understand about, you know, when you want to be a drug dealer in prison or smuggling drugs, you know? Okay. So why do you think people um, on the outside, why do you think they are willing to kind of help with The money. These? Yeah, okay. The money. 
They're willing to oh, put yeah. money. Oh yeah, it's most it's always it's the it's the money and for everybody. It's the money for the person who doing it. It's for money for the person who who uh who get who doing all of the, the, the main person. If it was me if it was the money. Mm-hmm. If it, the and the person you contacted on the outside, the only reason they taking the opportunity is because you offering the payment. The officer who who taking the bribe, they only putting their job at risk for the money. It's mm-hmm. it's it's just the money all the way around the board. Okay. The money is it, because you got to think about it like this. You get a pack, uh, let's see, you get a pack of whatever type of drug, right? It doesn't matter what the type, what type of drug it is. What you pay for it on the streets, I'm talking about somebody that's coming, buying it retail from you to use or whatever they're going to do with it. What they pay for that on the street, double that in here, sometimes triple that in here. And sometimes mm-hmm. you quadruple that. Something you might pay $25 for on the street, you might pay $100 for in here. And you will sell out. Wow. You know, so you can afford to pay whoever it is that you need to pay something that they will, they'll look at you and be like, they think that they're getting over. Mm. But they're not getting over. They're taking all the risk. Because if they get caught, they're going to jail. They're not. And then the game, you know, (laughs) the, the the game goes like this. They are expected to keep their mouths shut. Now, most of the time they don't, but that's the expectation. You ain't supposed to do no telling about nothing. You knew what you were getting into when you did it, so don't say nothing. You got to take that lead. I tell you another. I tell you another weird factor that weighs into all of this. You know, it's some people probably sometimes all the components. It's something about the excitement of doing it. It's something about the excitement of the inmate who got to orchestrate and pull all this together because it's not just a simple phone call. You got to get it, get somebody to pick it up, get somebody to break it down, get mm-hmm. somebody to wrap it up, get that transported to the person who's going to bring it. It's something about the whole method. And sometimes the person who's bringing it in, whether they're nervous or scared or not, sometimes sometimes it's, it's something about the thrill of them walking through and they searching them and don't find nothing and they get in they everything straight yeah yeah i got in it was easy it wasn't nothing and by the time you done did it that first time you just gassed up to do it again same thing with the officer you know they might be timid or hesitant mm-hmm. like with my situation at one point i had a police officer when me and my daddy was in the cell together i had a police officer who actually worked there who was who was bringing it in but i remember my first approach to her around the board with everything before asking her to bring something in they was first trying to get her to accept talking to me on a cell phone. By the time I approached her, and was like, hey, what if it's a way I could talk to you outside of here? She was like, what? Mm-hmm. Well, she knew what I was talking about, but she had to play her role because she was the police officer. So by the time I did give her the number in which I went in the cell and told my daddy before they look, we're going to keep the phone in here tonight. And he was like, oh, you taking all charges. But even though I didn't tell him why, <laughs> I didn't tell him why I was keeping, the I, didn't, I didn't tell him why I was keeping the phone in there, but I had already approached this police officer to bring the phone in. And to her, I think it was more on the exciting thrill end of, I can mm-hmm. talk to an inmate, mm-hmm. you know, versus her actually wanting to talk. So it was like, she wanted to see if it was true. Oh. So by the time she called, boom, I told her to call block. I go in the cell. She came by, gave me the thumbs up. My daddy rose up off the bunk. He said, what was that about? I said, oh, oh, I forgot to tell you. I forgot to tell you. I gave her the phone number. He said, oh, mm-hmm. oh you going to the hole? You might want to pack your stuff. The green team is on the way. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, yeah. So by the time, by the time 
she had called, mm-hmm. by the time she had called, it was exciting to her to even talk to an inmate. Mm-hmm. So now I don't want an extra, I don't want an extra mile. This manipulation all around the board too. I don't want an extra mile. And now I'm talking to her about how much money we could make. And at this time, we had a prison where, like my daddy was saying, every all of the prices are quadru- probably quadruple at this prison for some reason. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to a certain prison, you probably can get a phone for five or six hundred. Up here, you pay fifteen hundred a phone. Wow. And if you're going in, if you're going to buy a phone on the streets, it's thirty-seven to it was thirty-seven dollars or even fifty dollars. You go buy a regular phone for fifty dollars, bring it into prison, the value is now fifteen hundred. That's oh. just that's just crazy. Wow. So by the time I'm throwing out these prices to her, hey, we're getting this for this much and I'm gonna make this much, this much. And she like, what? Mm-hmm. Are you serious? It was dudes, it's inmates in her who have paid mortgages. It's people who have paid for their houses. It's people, yeah, yeah, it's people, it's people who sitting in prison, believe it or not, with fifty, sixty thousand dollars on their books or 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 or, or their girlfriend or wife or whoever holding thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars just yeah. off of off of off of a three month run good decent run in prison so by the time i'm convincing her with this conversation she's like yeah but then it was it it was all sweet because she was like you know what i'm gonna do it for you i don't even want nothing out of it you think i'm turning it down Mm. (laughs) let's do it but (laughs) but to stay on but to stay on subject by the time she did it the first time, I seen the excitement in her eyes. Mm. It was a everything was straight. How was it? Oh, it wasn't nothing. I came straight in, same routine, boom, boom. I came in, put it up, did nothing look suspicious. And at that point, every time I'm asking now is when you want to do it. Mm. And and sometimes it it be the the excitement and thrill. You know what I'm saying? If it ain't about the money, sometimes it just be the thrill of of doing something. I guess it's just like uh of getting away with something you know it's just like it's just like when people do these some of these motivational things they get people to walk across hot coals and it gives them some type of confidence or whatever it is it does for them and for some people it'd it be with doing stuff illegal once you do it that first time it's like it gives you something like you feel like you've been missing all your life but okay yeah, yeah. you think that yeah you do you do yeah even, even for the even for the person that's doing the hustling the selling it's a rush. Mm-hmm. It's, a rush. It's, it's a rush. That's why a lot of people have a problem just going back to doing something regular, getting a regular job, because you get that rush. You can't get that from working in no factory. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? You know, you got to change your whole mindset, you know, when you are in here and trying to hustle and, and then when you get out or, or and, and want to do a regular job, you mm-hmm. got to work on that while you're in here and say, look, this is not something I want to do because all you're going to do is set yourself up for, you know, a situation where you're not going to find that high, that adrenaline rush that you get uh, from trying to get away with a crime, selling drugs or something like that in here. And that's where most people fall into that trap. You know, I get it. I totally understand. I understand why I got partners that call themselves professional drug dealers. They just have a hard time pulling away from the game. You know, and I understand that. And I think that you know, more needs to be done on that as far as, you know, trying to help people as opposed to, you know, punish them and, and locking them away in prison. You got to look at what what they have done to them, their mindset, and how they became conditioned to believe that this is best for them, you know, because like I say, they get a rush out of it. It's no different than somebody that does high diving, you know, jumping off a cliff or, you know, stuff like that, riding motorcycles real fast. That mm-hmm. same rush, they chase after it. 
they just say stuff though. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the last question is, you know, it kind of goes into what you were talking about right now. So why did you stop? You want to take that book? <laughs> it's a lot of different. It's a lot of different reasons why I stopped. Um, the number one reason was I I was I was tired. To be honest with you, I was tired. Mm. Another reason was uh, I was sick of the politics that surrounded by it. Uh, you put yourself at a lot of risk, you know, with other people when you're doing that. Is it can be it can get very competitive uh, because the people who it's not everybody doesn't have the ability to be able to do it. Everybody don't have the people or the team to orchestrate and make it happen. Everybody don't have the, the, the refunds or the resources to make it happen. And when you're one of them people in prison, it puts, it, it can also put a target on your back. People sending, sending the police in your cell trying to get you caught or, or, or you being a, a, a suspect of doing that. And the police ended up, catch, end up catching you in some prisons. You can get extra time for that so that was a that was a reason and then uh but the most part it was it was i was tired but like my dad was saying i went through a i went through something mental of trying to figure out okay okay how do i desire how do i how do i survive once i stop this like then what like then what do i do Mm -hmm. how do i pass and then how do i pass my time in here you know what i'm saying if i'm not if i'm not doing that because you know with doing that it was it was like it's something i'm always trying to do something for one i'm trying to get this stuff out of my cell or i'm trying to get rid of it so i can make my money and so i can get it in again so at the time at the time i was going through this i'm like man I'm so sick of this. And I remember a specific conversation I had with my dad in the cell. And I brought it up. I was like, man, we need to, you know, let's say maybe we need to stop this. And then my daddy said something that I at the time I understood exactly where he was coming from when he said what he was saying. And it tied to a lot of some of the what he's already said. He was like, Man, boo, you you could do that. He was like, I don't have people outside here to do this and do that for me. He was like, I have to do what I have to do to make a living in here to survive in order to do what it is that he was trying to accomplish, which was all tied to him getting his freedom. And while I'm on that subject, it's so many inmates who may be doing things that they really don't even want to do. It does not mean that's who they are. It's not who they are. They're trying to do something that the system does not give them the opportunity or the resources to do. They are very smart, intelligent people, Mm -hmm. genuine people in there. My dad being one of them, who's just not being presented with the tools Mm -hmm. to would make him just as successful as any human being who is free on the outside of this world on the outside of their fence or give him the opportunity for the world to see in society that my dad is a need out here. So I, I understood what, where he was coming from. Me on the back end, I have a shorter sentence. So I'm able to say at some point, you know what, I got like two years left. I might need to go ahead and stop because if I get caught, they can take my good time or I can get an added sentence, get another charge. Yeah. You know, I went I went through all of that. And it wasn't, it wasn't an easy transition mentally to make like my daddy was saying you have to prepare yourself and just for me you know i was uh i had made enough money i had which helped a lot i had made enough money to where when i did stop which and 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 i know that the most high intervened in my in my life 
because when I first came in, anything that I touched, it would just work so easy. Mm -hmm. So by the time I was really ready to make that transition, I had started when I would try to do it. It just wouldn't work the way it was working. I was taking too many losses. And at that time, I was realizing, you know what, I'd rather just take what I have and try to survive give me a budget, not order as much commissary as I normally order, not mm. buying stuff off the, not having a kitchen man that's bringing me food every week, not paying all of these, not paying all of this extra stuff, paying somebody to clean my cell, trying to get packages of clothes in every other week and shoes. I'll just cut yeah, back on every... Yeah. Right, right. Since <laughs> century rich, I'll just cut back on all of these liabilities and, and budget my money until I make it on up out of here. And it helped me mentally in so many different ways because I started to make a transition that would help my mind out here. So many drug dealers, like my said, like my daddy said, they say they professional drug dealers because so so many of them use money to pay for everything that's moving around them and when you and, and you so you always have to make more funds to make sure you can continue that on and it strips you of learning a, a responsibility which is something i've started to learn here recently when you be able to pay somebody do this for me do that for me you never have to step in and be that person and do it mm -hmm. i noticed that and, I, and that's another i'm glad you know that transition took place because it prepared me mentally to be able to come home and be a good steward over my money versus having my money always moving and paying for everything so okay. that's one of the yeah well for me i i stopped because i got tired just like boo said i got tired and but at the same time i found a way that i could satisfy that rush that i would get plus you know doing it legal you know what i mean I, i'll never forget my brother he introduced me to the stock markets and uh, when it's, it's luck that it happened for me that way, but well, it's not luck, it's the most high. He intervened in that, and nothing lucky about it. But at the end of the day, uh, my grandmother had passed away, and she had left me $5,000. And I was going to take that $5,000 and get me four and a half ounces, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> of some powder, and, and, and flip that in here because I knew I could make about 7500 off an ounce in here. So that was my plan. When I was talking to my brother about it, he was like, boy, don't do that. Don't disrespect Granny's money like that. You know what I'm saying? Okay. I said, okay, then. I ain't going to do it. He said, let me take that money and invest it in the stocks for you. So I got with my uncle, and they took some money. And right about this time, it was when 9-11 had happened. And mm -hmm. Delta Airlines, their stock had just crashed. So my brother and my uncle, they took uh, a portion of that money and invested it in the stock markets in October. And in December, I had $47,000. And I was like, wow. I had never been exposed to money coming to me that fast, that easy. Or at least I thought it was easy. Mm. But what it was, it gave me a glimpse into another world that I didn't think was possible for me, especially being in here. Mm -hmm. I didn't think that I could do things like that. Even though I, at that point, I was working on uh, my first book and developing other products. But I just didn't realize that I could make that kind of money investing in the stock market and then still satisfy that feeling I had of, of, of accomplishment. I say it's like a rush that people talk about, but it's a sense of accomplishment mm -hmm. that people want to feel. Everybody wants to feel like they've done something worthwhile. And if you, if you get your worth out of doing something illegal, the next person can't tell you that you shouldn't do that because it's, it's, this is what's making you feel good. So I, I found a way to get that feeling 
of accomplishment by doing something legal. Mm-hmm. And I was hooked, and I've been hooked ever since. And that's why I stopped. The main reason why I stopped, you know, is that I found another way to satisfy myself, give myself a sense of accomplishment without feeling dirty. And that's what happened to me. And from that point on, I went on writing books, websites, and now this podcast, you know, and that's for me why I stopped, you know? Okay. So that could be used as some advice for people who maybe are thinking of stopping this if they're being, if they're involved in uh, smuggling drugs. Oh, uh, yeah. what, what advice would I give somebody? Well, what, what you both said could be used as advice, but yeah, if you had anything else to say, what would it be? Okay. Okay. Well, 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 as far as, as far as advice, you know, like my dad said in the beginning of the, of the, of the episode, no, I don't, I don't condone nothing. You know what I'm saying, especially when it comes to illegal activity, and that's in no shape, form, and fashion. Whether it be selling drugs or whether it be robbing people, taking people, stealing from people, whatever the case may be, abusing people, putting it physically, really like no, no shape, form, and fashion of doing stuff that brings harm to a community, to a community, or or whatever you know it, it's bringing harm to. Um, as far as advice, man, when like my daddy said, when you it's something about when you a hustler majority of the times you you became that because you you probably had became a product of your environment you had to adjust you had to adapt and one of the only ways that they probably was presented to you was hustling but one thing about a hustler when you when you've been in that game in that cycle for so long Anything else that you do put your hands on, you will apply that same kind of drive. That same, you will have that same feeling once you apply it towards something else. Like my daddy was saying about his book, the same thing about me. When I wrote that book, when I made the first sale mm-hmm. from sitting inside of a cell in prison, it gave me something that I just can't explain or put in words, but it was the same thing as my hustle because I have to put money into what I'm doing. And once I put that money in, my mindset is first and foremost, I'm going to make back what I spent. And once I see, I can make back what I spent and I calculate how much I can make and profit after I cover my expenses. It's the same thing with the dope game. Once I put, if I invest 600, I know I need to make that 600 back so I can go back and do it again. On top of that, I still have enough to see profit. So I'm going to sell that as well. So my advice is if you have a hustler's mentality, it you can ship. It does not have to be criminal. It's just you haven't been presented or you have not tried anything to see that you will have that same capability if you put it towards something else. And now, and a lot of people excuse will be, well, it don't move as fast as the dope game. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to have to disagree with that at this point. Because yeah. and when you first get in the dope game, yeah, it's, it's it, you thinking it's fast money. But you have to calculate your expenses and your losses in the dope game, too. People think because they're making fast money, but they don't tell you about all the losses that they took. And I had to go and do this again to get that back. And I had to help this person. I had to do that and get that back. It's going to be the same thing with a business. You thinking I'm putting all of this money in and out. It's the same difference. Mm. At this point, I've made more money than my homeboys. When I was locked up for them 10 years, in the last six months, I guarantee you, I've made more money than they made over the course of 10 years selling drugs. Oh, wow. Doing it legal. So that's my advice. Once you find 
what it is you enjoy doing, you just apply that same mentality, that same drive, that same hustle, that same energy that you have in the dope game, you apply it towards what you're doing. You're going to get better results. And it's legal. You're not going to jail. <laughs> you ain't got to look over your shoulder. You you know what I'm saying? You can file taxes. You know, it's it's a lot of benefits to that as well. And then on top of that, like with my daddy, for instance, because, you know, I always got to pay homage to my pops whenever I get a chance because he he was pre that was presented to me in prison when I seen him doing certain things. And, and then I was, you know, I'm going to give it a try. I only tried it. And and and, uh, and all the information come from him. Once I tried it, it helped their energy shift, and I've been very successful at it ever since. So, you know, that's my that's my advice. You find something you enjoy, just apply that same energy that you was applying in the street. You gonna get better results. Yeah, for me, the advice that I would give, and thank you for that, Boo. Thank you for that. The advice that I would give is to give yourself a chance. Give yourself a chance. And don't do anything that's going to harm your community or your family. Mm. If, if you're involved in anything, even if it's something that you're involved in legally that can cause harm to your community or your family, because a lot of people try to get involved in things that are they, they just like skirting right on the edge. You know what I'm saying? And, and it's setting a bad example for their kids and the other people that might be watching them. So, you know, be careful of that. And like I say, give yourself a chance. If you just, like my son just said, switch that energy, switch that focus on doing something positive, and you will see the results will be way better than the results that you're getting now. This is what people do. This is what people do, particularly in prison. People have gotten so used to doing wrong that it has become comfortable. So when they try to take, make that transition to doing right, it feels uncomfortable. So what you have to do is give yourself a chance. Continue to do the right thing until you become comfortable with that, in that. And once you become comfortable in that, you're going to start to feel uncomfortable when you do bad stuff. You're going to feel uncomfortable when you do bad stuff or do something that's right on the edge. And you'll know. But because we've been dealing with stuff so long, people in prison and the people that get out, because we've been dealing with wrong so long, it's not uncomfortable to us. We'll argue with people about it. No, I need to do it because of this. And this. Because you become comfortable with it, it makes sense to you. But it, when you can give yourself a chance and do right for long enough till it becomes comfortable with you, then you won't even put up those kind of arguments no more. I don't even really like getting in conversations with people anymore when they're talking about doing something wrong. It bores me. It really bores me. You know what I'm saying? Because I feel pity for people that think that that's the route. And I talk to him the same way I talk to my son. I pray for him, and that's about all I can do. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And then I keep it moving, you know. And then I keep it moving. You got any more questions for us, Anna? Um, no, I think that's it. Um, unless you guys have anything okay. else to say. Okay, well, this is if what I, I want to do, man. Now, wait, go ahead, but go ahead. I, yeah, I, 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 want, I, I, want, I want to say something real quick before you end it. A lot of people... When you're making a transition from from their life, because that's a part of being attached to the life, a lot of people be afraid to make that transition as well because they it it, it disassociates you with a world that you all familiar with, that you're too familiar with, and a lot of people are worried about the response from the people 
more than worrying about their own well-being. Mm. And, and and people people will stay attached to that life and doing it to continue to please other people versus pleasing themselves or pleasing the most high. You can't allow somebody you can't allow somebody to make you feel like because you're trying to better yourself that it makes you a lame or it makes you a suck or it makes you a coward or it makes you anything. You know what I'm saying? Because I went I went through that as well in prison. You know what I'm saying? When I started making that transition, when I started saying I ain't doing that no more, the Little, the little things people say or make you start questioning who you are. Oh, man, you tripping, man. What, what's wrong with you? You know, just that small thing can have me asking myself, am I? Or then, or then when you when you call it home and and people asking you for money and then you saying, well, nah, I ain't, you know, I ain't doing that no more. And then they be like, what you what you mean? You ain't? It'll make you start questioning your transition and your change, and it'll keep you from going forth and doing that. So so to anybody who when you making that transition, you have to know this is for you. It ain't for nobody that you was attached to who 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 basically cheerleading you on in that life. You can't allow that to stop you from becoming a better you because at some point in your life you need you have to understand if whatever I'm attached to in this life and all of these other people that is it's corrupting and touching everybody in a in a negative way. And once you make that transition, like now in my life, anything that's attached to me now, I have the opposite results. And it's so much better because I'm around people with healthier mentalities, productive mentalities, positive mentalities, people who have their own best interests in mind. So it's a it's a win-win situation once you make the transition. So you can't be worried about, you know what I'm saying, what them lead. It's okay to disassociate yourself with them people who choosing to continue on in that cycle. Let, let them have that cycle. Let them continue to harm whatever they harming and you do. But once you step into that world, the world that I have stepped into now, the people that I'm connected to now, it's it's way better on this ass. So I just wanted to leave with that and say, you know, don't let people who 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 choosing to stay associated with their life stop you from making that transition. Okay, well, I'm on, this is what I'm gonna say before I hand it over to you, East to wrap it up for us. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I want to say I want to thank everybody that's been listening to the show and been supporting the show. And I'm asking everybody out there, you know, there's three things that you can do to continue to support the show if you like it. And the first thing I would like to ask people to do is to subscribe to the show. Follow the show. Don't just go to the show and download. I need people to start subscribing to the show. And then when you subscribe to the show, share it. Share it with your family and friends and and encourage them to subscribe to it. And the final thing I would ask people to do is a support button or a donate button right there at the top of the page. Hit that. Donate at least a dollar. You know, I'm in prison. I make 42 cents an hour. You know what I'm saying? And I'm still trying. I'm still doing. I'm going to do whether anybody donates to me or not. But I'm asking if you like this show, support this show in those ways. And if you can't do one one way, do the other way. But I'm asking for your support. we got to start supporting each other when, when we find ourselves in situations like this, especially when people are doing the positive things. And with that, I'm going to just hand it over to you, Anna East, and you can wrap this thing up. Well, thank you. And yes, that was a great way to end the show. Definitely, you know, do everything (laughs) that Joe says uh, to support the show as much as you can. Thank you, Joe, for having me on here to co-host it. And uh, Boo, sorry, it was great having having you on again. 
And um, I think that's about it. Right? Yeah. Well, dig that. Dig that. And thank you for doing the show again, Boo. And mm-hmm. Anna East, I appreciate y'all, you know. Mm-hmm. And we'll do this again next week. Thank you for using GTL.